All right, as we continue our series on the family, let's uh, bow for a word of prayer. Holy Father, it's awesome to be here this morning. We thank you for the family, and we thank you for the blood and flesh family that we have, your spirit family, all those that are here, Lord. We just praise you that they took time to be here. And Lord, we praise you most of all for your son. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. When Tom gave me this assignment here a while ago, uh, I love this theme, Are You There Yet? And I don't know what that conjures up for you. Uh, it conjures up a lot of memories for me of uh, traveling and the, the great things that happen when you travel. Matter of fact, we have some Robertson vacation pictures, if we can pull those up, let you see those very happy special moments. But if you think about uh, vacation especially, <clears throat> what's interesting is that 20 or 30 seconds of paradise was followed by a pretty incredible ride to get there. And so I, I don't know how you would phrase that. My mom would call it thrifty. Dave Ramsey would call it being financially responsible. My kids would say, I'm cheap, okay? So when we traveled, uh, we traveled cheap. And from the time I was young, I just loved to travel. And so we've been all over the United States, and we've wore out a few family uh, vans in our time. Uh, but during those times, there are some pretty trying times. Matter of fact, uh, let me ask the dads here. I'm going to share some phrases. And if, uh, if you've ever uttered these words, would you just... With all, your, with all the gusts, would you just shout amen, okay? Here's the uh, first one for all the uh, dads here. Uh, no, we're not stopping yet. Amen. That's pretty pathetic, dads. Okay, can you hold it for 10 more minutes? <laughs> amen? Enough already. Amen. And how many fathers have ever, ever uttered these beautiful words? I will stop this van. <laughs> I, that's what I'm talking about. About four or five years ago, I, th I think, it gets fuzzy here because it's such a fond memory, but our youngest daughter, Danielle, uh, we were traveling back to Illinois to see the folks, and uh, uh, she was with her first cousin, Randy, which you know how kids know. They know I can push the buttons a little bit more, and I don't know what we were arguing about. I think it was Scripture, the second coming. I'm not sure, but we were having a little argument, and uh, it had escalated to a point where I said, enough already. And my, my daughter's wired a little bit like me, and she waited a little bit, and then she threw that dart out. You know how that goes, parents? That dart that says, I would like one less child right now. It was that dart. And so I did what all Christian parents would do at that time. I was looking for something to throw at her. So I'm looking around, I'm driving, and there was a big cup of ice water, and I just grabbed it. Now, after child services and counseling, it's all great. But we've all been there. We've had those moments where... We've had those, man, are we there yet moments. So I'd like you to turn with me to Numbers 33. This is one of the most amazing chapters, I think, in the entire Old Testament. I came across it a few years ago, and I had to stop and go through it again. It's called The Stages in Israel's Journey. Now, we're not, in no way could we read all this, but I just want you to see, this is the game plan of the Israelite nation. Now, I want you to see as they travel on their exodus, and there's a, a word I want you to see, it's the word camped. In that chapter, can you imagine this? They pulled the entire nation up and moved. Are you ready for this? 42 times. I don't know about your families, but did you ever go through the camping phase in your family? <laughs> Boy, that's a whole nother chapter, isn't it? But can you imagine an entire nation, 42 times, pulling up all stakes and moving? If there was an ever a nation that lived by the motto, are we there yet? It was the Israelites. That's why I tell you, as I was praying through this text, I thought, you know, 
What keeps coming back to me is a little simple, it's now it's a paperback book. You can get it through our bookstore. It was written in the 80s, but I have referred time and time again to this little book. So I want to recommend it for all of you. It's called The Blessing by Gary Smalley and John Trent. And the reason I love that book so much is it said as they studied the uh, Jewish nation, both in the Old Testament, New Testament, and currently, they said that it was amazing that there were blessings passed down through the family, key blessings that are timeless. And so this morning, I just want to share some of those blessings with all of us because it's important as we work with our families to bless them. The first blessing is this, the significance of the human touch. From Genesis all the through Scripture, you will see the power of family and the blessing which is taking place through human touch. One of the saddest things that happened in the early 1900s was the onslaught of babies that were taken to orphanages here in the United States. What's amazing is 99% of those babies in the early 1900s died before their seven-month birthday. Seven months, 99% of them died. What they couldn't figure out is they were in a sterile room trying to prohibit disease. They were getting modern medicine, adequate food, and yet the babies were dying. Do you know why? Because they were giving them food and they were giving them medicine, but they weren't picking the babies up and holding them. The power of the human touch. We know medically that it lowers our blood pressure. It reduces stress hormones. We know that the endorphins levels go up, that every human needs 8 to 12 meaningful touches a day. Let me just share something from a personal view. This is an observation of going to countless ball games, boys and girls games. And uh, that is this, and, and this is very heady stuff. Uh, girls are weird and guys are awkward. Go to ball games. My daughter, I, we've been to so many volleyball games, but if you've ever been to a volleyball game, they start the national anthem, all the girls, they hold hands and they swing. And I lean over every game, I'd say, that is just weird, okay? They swing her. And then if there are 20 girls in 10 seats, it doesn't matter, they just, that's all set together. And they all get real tight and they're always playing with each other's hair. What is that all about? <laughs> now, guys, they're just awkward. They don't know whether to shake hands or hug, so they just pound each other. You ever go to a ball game, they punch, they pound, they kick. It's, it's just brutal. And if you watch, even in the foyer here, they have what I call gugs. It's a guy hug, and you've all seen it. A guy hug is, a, I want to do more than just shake your hand, but I don't want to hug you, so I'm going to just shake your hand and pull you tight and not too long. And then we push away. We're just weird individuals. But why do we do that? Because we crave human touch. It's a part of who we are. And if you think about it, there was no greater example of this than the life of Jesus Christ. Think of the power of his voice, that he could literally calm down a sea, that he could raise Lazarus from the dead with his voice, and yet when he moved through the crowds, how many times in the healing process did he actually reach out and touch somebody? I think of Mark chapter 1 where he reached out and he touched the untouchable when he touched the leper. I think of Mark 5 when the woman with the bleeding disorder and he's going through the crowd and everybody's pushing on Jesus, but he said, wait, somebody has touched me. And I think of Jesus calling the children to come to him. I think Jesus this morning, when he had seen all the children on stage, I think Jesus would have just wept. And then I look at Matthew 14, 36, and it says, all those who touched Jesus were healed. The power 
of touch. And here's the thing, even though kids are so easy to hug when they're so small, they need it even more as they get older. One thing that I love about my mom, uh, and I've shared this before, I was, uh, my mom was 42 when I was born, so you do the math when I graduated. She's like, my mom had white hair. I can never remember her not having white hair. And she would hug me at any time in any situation, like in the middle of a ball game, you know, didn't matter. I mean, she said, come here, give me, mom, seriously, no, seriously, give me a hug, you know that? <laughs> oh, please, you know. She just loved to hug, but I am so thankful that I grew up in an environment where that touch was so important. And I thought about that this morning. This is something. You know, we do the welcome, and we shake a few hands. We think, that's not that big a deal. Do you realize, I thought first service, some folks probably this morning, that's the only human touch they've had this entire week. We desperately need human touch. I read a story about Leo Bogolia, who is an author who was judging this contest in this small town. And the contest was the most caring child. The winner of the contest, believe it or not, was a four-year-old. And here's what transpired. This little guy was in his yard with his mom, and his neighbor, an older man, had lost his wife. And he looked up, and he saw him sitting on the porch. And this little guy ran through his yard, through his neighbor's yard, up on the porch, and he just sat on this neighbor's lap for a long time. And then he came back home. His mom said, when you were sitting on his lap, what did you say to help him? He said, Mom, I didn't say anything. I just helped him cry. We need to understand the power for all of us to reach out and to touch because that's the way Christ lived his life, and that's how we bless. The second thing I want you to know is the impact of your words and how we bless with our words. We know in creation in Genesis 1-3 that God spoke and the world was created. We know in John 1-14 that the word became flesh. And James 3-3 says, if you can control your words, you can control anything. We have so much wisdom in God's word about how to control our words and wisdom on how to live our life. Wisdom that is greater than even old school wisdom. So let me give you an old school test. I'll start a phrase and see if you know the rest of it. A bird in the hand is better than? Good. A rolling stone gathers? A stitch in time saves? Now here's the strangest old school lesson that I've ever heard. There's more than one way to skin a cat. How did that ever happen? Did you ever? I always picture this guy in the garage. Let's call him Bob, skinning his cat, you know. Guy comes up, you know Bob, more than one way to do that. Ah, let me write that down. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the dumbest old school lesson I've ever heard. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is ridiculous. Sticks and stones can break your bones, no doubt. But words, they can't hurt. Man, listen to what God says in Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 15.4 in Proverbs. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Think about the power of the words. Even this last week, think of the power of the words that we use. 
Dr. Phil said it takes a thousand attaboys to overcome one negative comment. And most of us, if we're honest, there are times in our life that we have been hurt so deeply by words that we would have rather been beaten with a stick, wouldn't we? Than the pain that we carry. A stick leaves a scar, and so do reckless words. And this morning, the last thing is this blessing, and that is to pass on the life-changing investment for the future in others' lives. That's why I love Jeremiah 29, 11. I know you love it too. Uh, so many people, it's their life verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you what? A hope and a future. When I was in college, there was a sporting event that was a defining moment for me. I know that sounds crazy because it's a sporting event, but it really was because I thought it was such an investment of the human spirit of what was possible. I remember living through that, and I remember the first time I, I saw the movie at the theater. Of course, I was crying, and even though I've never played an organized hockey game, I was ready to skate up. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, we, all of us, desire to know that there's a purpose in our life and that somebody will call us out and say, I need you to do this. We all deeply desire that. I want you to know how important this is. I want you to think about this. When I, um, uh, last week down in the Fellowship Hall, I shared this during communion, that when you think of the Last Supper, we focus on the what, and we should. The what is, what did Jesus serve? And he served bread and juice that represents his body and his blood. That's the what. But did you ever think about the who? Who was sitting at the table? It was not his earthly family. It was the disciples. And there are two families here today. There is your flesh and blood family, but there is the church. And let me tell you, I think one of the most valuable things that we do as a church are these four letters that I'd like you to repeat after me. Would you repeat? I, C, N, U. I, C, N, U. The power of those letters and the power of approaching somebody and say, I see in you and fill in the blank. And think of the impact that we have as a church family, not only to our kids, but all ages, to see in somebody what God can do through them. That is our responsibility. Because I want you to think of the people who have done that for you in your life. When I look back in my life, there are names that they don't mean anything to you, but they mean everything to me. Names like Lowry Sutherland, and I think of Rick Sutton, and, and I think of Chuck Sackett and Jack Kelly. I think of elders throughout the years, Waldrop and Ellis and Dudley, and the list goes on and on. Men who took time to say, hey, John, seriously, don't ever do that again, but I see in you, I see in you what God can do. You realize that all of us have the power to bless somebody's life, even if, if in our own lives, in our own families, we've come out of the trash heap, and we're like, I, I have never received positive reinforcement. Even if that's your story, you can break the cycle, and you can bless others. I see in you, and the power of saying that, that you see something in others that God sees, and that there's a special future in their life. Every kid needs someone in their corner. Everybody needs somebody in their corner.
I just want to close for all of you here as we come and as we look at family, and I, I just want to give you a guarantee here about family, and that is there are no perfect people, there are no perfect families. Some of you came here this morning and you're so broken because you're thinking about what's going on in your family, and I want to encourage you that that's why the church is here, that we're here to help one another in this incredible journey of family. And there's an amazing woman that I would like to just close with two quotes. It's Billy Graham's uh, late wife, Ruth Graham. Their first quote, Claudia Mitchell gave me, and that is, uh, Ruth Graham was asked, did you ever think about divorce with Billy Graham? Did you ever even think about divorce? And Ruth Graham said, never have I thought about divorce. Murder, yes. (laughs) The second quote, I love even more. Years and years ago, she saw this sign on a highway. She jotted it down and she said, I want that on my tombstone. And her kids thought she'll probably forget that. And years later, she said, don't forget to put that sign on my tombstone. And here's what the sign reads. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. And I want to encourage everyone here, when it comes to your family, When it comes to my family, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Some of you this morning, your families are struggling, and your first step is to just pray. And we want to be down here with you to pray with you. For some of you, you're sitting there, and the most important decision in your life is right before you, and that is accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior.